I am Douglas Little, founder, perfumer, and creative director for Heretic Perfume. You are listening to the I Am Heretic podcast. These podcasts are an exploration of the senses with a focus on fragrance, how it's made, the effects it has, and the incredible people it has led me to meet. I am thrilled to be joined today by a very esteemed guest, Mr. Arnaud Winter, who is the senior perfumer for Cosmo International Fragrances. Arnaud, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation and to be able to share this moment with you. It's very special. I think today this podcast is probably the first time that we've actually talked about fragrance because it's gone all over the place. And that's always a very exciting part. But, you know, this podcast is really about how the aspect of how fragrance is made and the way that it makes us feel and and all of those things. Could you please give our listeners a bit of background about you and how you got your start? Yes. Uh, so from my accent, you can say, you can guess where I'm coming from. So yes, I'm coming from France. I've been uh, in the US for 25 years, never could get rid of the accent. You know, that's part of who I am. I was not born into perfume. I mean, uh, a lot of when you hear about the story of perfumery and how the dynasty were developed, a lot of people entered and became perfumer because someone from their family was part of this wonderful world. I mean, uh, they had a father, they had an aunt or someone who was in this industry or south of France or in Paris for France. And that's how they get to know. I mean, and they got the opportunity to, to, to be raised with this sense that the power of others is, is, is magic, is amazing. You can play with it. Uh, None of that came to me. I mean, I was born in Paris and I was raised in the northern part of France next to the border with Belgium, where I think potato and beer are much more a trademark of the region. So really, I didn't have really any contact with a fragrance aspect, but I think it was part of the way I discovered the world. I mean, my mother always said that I was always putting my nose everywhere, smelling a lot of things, but it was not conscious. I think that's a way, maybe a different way I had to discover what was around me. Uh, I mean, my father is an engineer, so I was dedicated to study mathematics and physics. And I mean, I was like, okay, you have to do what the future is going to give you because, I mean, if you don't do math, you're not going to go anywhere. You know, we all are. I mean, uh, it's part of the way I was raised. So, of course, I went through high school and got my uh, baccalaureate in scientific science without excelling about it, doing it because I was there and I had, I mean, kind of go forward. And the only thing that really was interesting was chemistry. And uh, university, I, uh, I studied uh, in university chemistry, but really, really fast, I realized that sulfuric acid production was not my thing. <laughs> I was not going to make it. So I really, really looked to see, okay, what can I do? How can I get out of it? To some way I can use maybe, I think it teach me the process of how to be thorough, to be organized. And I think it's something which is very important in perfumery. Those things in life that happens, you don't know why, maybe after your life, but I went to a center of orientation when you have a cancer showing you what you can do and what you can do with your career. And, and I took one book, I opened it in a middle, and the page it opened it to was this perfumery school, which is in Versailles near Paris. It started like that, something really, I think it's coincidences that you have in your life. So I think that's certain things that appears and you have to be able to recognize and to have the chance to grab it when it comes. So were your parents supportive? Uh, I don't know if my father's going to listen to the podcast, but <laughs> he told me when I said, okay, I want to do this perfumery school, whatever. I mean, I mean, he did one of the 
top uh, engineer school in France. You know what I mean, he, really, he's a very smart guy. He told me, you know, perfumer, hairdresser, florist. Wow, it got lumped into that. <laughs> yeah, but because it was completely unknown to him. Right. And he couldn't imagine for the world he was living in, which was very rational, that someone would choose and try something that has, has no matter. Right. I mean, I mean, you cannot touch it, you cannot measure it, you cannot weigh it. Yeah, you can measure the liquid, but I mean, fragrance is something which for a lot of people, especially maybe my father at the time, was something which was another universe. You know, the, the fragrance world is in such a revolution and we're seeing that there's this this huge return to naturals and you're seeing all of the perfume houses now are really focused on talking about ingredients. There, you know, if you log on to anyone's website, be it Roberté or, you know, Givadon or IFF, everyone is talking about their naturals, you know, like everyone's really drilling into that. But I remember it wasn't that long ago that when I came to, to Cosmo and I was soliciting other people that no one really wanted to do it, or they said that it wasn't possible or it was too expensive or all of these aspects. Cosmo was really pioneering something that was really unique. And, you know, when I started working on this with you, I brought you, I think, the first natural formula in 2006. And it wasn't until 2012, I think, that we finally actually started to pull the trigger on seeing, like, if we could do this. But could you talk a little bit about the trend in the industry that you're seeing? In terms of trends, I think people want to know who's doing the fragrance, who's behind, who had the idea, what was the inspiration they want. It doesn't have to be complicated. So I think that the natural came back, let's say, in a natural way, because there is real de demand and, and a story which is real. The lady picking up the jasmine in Egypt when the sunrise, and you have to pick it up at this time of the day because that's where the scent is more powerful. That's where the magic is. Absolutely. So I think that's that swimming when you speak about trends. I think natural is part of it. Something and uniqueness. I mean, I don't want to have the fragrance of my neighbor. I don't want to smell my fragrance that I bought, that I pay whatever, $100 uh, in every corner. I don't want to take the subway and find out that at least 10 ladies smell the same than me. Exactly. And, and I think that in 90s, and you mean you had some descriptions that you had like some Daisy from the Himalaya, stuff which don't even exist. I mean, people was, was, uh, were so out of ideas that they forget, I think, the basic or what is fragrance and what it's made of and what the consumer is entitled to know. Uh, and working with natural and especially with heretic has given me personally a liberty that you have no idea. And it's not only liberty of price, it's liberty of daring, liberty of no limit, of trying. It's very experimental. I mean, and which is good with natural is that gender blends much easier. So you create your fragrance, you create something that you believe in, that you love. And I think it's more artistic in a way that you're offering something and people do whatever they want with it. Absolutely. You're not trying to stick it in a category, stick it to a market, let it live, take its, its wings and live on its own. And, and that's the person who's in front of it and smells it who's going to decide. And I think that's the way it should be. One of the big aspects that I wanted to really have someone of your caliber speak to is the confusion in the market right now between what is synthetic fragrance, what is naturally derived fragrance, what is safe synthetic fragrance, what do these different categories mean and how are they classified? My answer is going to be a little 
complicated. Not that I don't want to simplify it, but it's a problem of definition. Natural, what do you define as natural? I think we can start with that. I mean, is it essential oil obtained by hydrodistillation? Do you include uh, extraction? Do you include isolate, which means that you're going to take an essential oil and you're going to separate and take one specific ingredient out of it? It's still natural. Uh, biochemistry also gives us some new uh, way of creating natural molecules, which are considered natural, which are produced natural way. So there is nothing synthetic in the process of their production. It's using what nature offers us the way we can extract it without the nature what was uh, the product at its essence. Uh, it's You take a, a raw material, you extract it, and you get something that you're not going to change. I mean, that's basically the, 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 the finish of natural. For me, it's everything that nature can give us with the help of us human, but without altering what they are. I think that's the best definition I can take. We speak about natural, we speak about synthetic. I mean, people some have the, sometimes the definition that synthetic is bad. Certain are. Certain natural products are dangerous. So, I mean, it's very difficult to know. Okay, natural, us, we have our definition. Synthetic product, they are produced by chemical reaction, by humans starting from petroleum or from derivative from pine oil or different type of products. So there is a process where there is a raw material, some chemical which are used to access add to the production of those of molecules. And I think the responsibility that we have is to tell to our customer what we use and to follow certain rules. As you said, you know, just because a product is natural doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for you. People have terrible allergies. I mean, there's all sorts of those aspects that are involved with it. You know, for me, I wanted just more importantly than anything else, I wanted to create a product that did not work with synthetics. Like, I just wanted to create a product made with natural materials. You know, the other buzzword that right now is in the industry that there's so much confusion about and that you know, again, I would love to hear your your breakdown on this. Is that you see these brands talking about these fragrance brands specifically, and they're 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 talking about that they are phthalate free and they're paraben free. Can you explain a little bit about this? Uh, paraben is not really a product that are in our raw materials. So, I mean, sometimes there's also confusion between some products which are used in cosmetic formulation and. People think they apply to fragrance because it, it could be part of the cosmetic, but usually the paraben don't come from the fragrance itself, not from the formula of the fragrance, which is used in different cosmetic product or bath product. So typically parabens are found in sunscreens. Is that right? Things, yeah. But us, I mean, we don't use them. It's not, I mean, we have sometimes some crazy lists that uh, some company asks us about checking because regulatory is very important in the way what we do. And I mean, uh, uh, does your fragrance contain nuts, like peanuts? Like I mean, like because people have some allergies, and sometimes there is some questions that we have that don't relate. We gladly and politely answer to them, tell them no, it doesn't contain, but it's not part of the ingredient we use to create our fragrance. So I mean, it's it's also that for so many years, maybe fragrance industry has been so protective and so secretive that people don't know, don't understand. Okay, there is a magic, but maybe there is a little bit of occultism. Recultism, I think, on in, from the, the, the perfume industry, that it's our strength is our formula, our richness, our formula. We are 
our knowledge, our know-how is the formula. So we have to protect it at whatever cost, which means we're not going to tell anybody what's inside because what you have to know is that the fragrance formula cannot be protected. And you know that. I mean, no, you can, you mean, no, you can register uh, the dimension of an iPad, uh, the pantone of uh, the next, next dress you're going to put on the market. I mean, all of this you can register, but fragrance you can. You cannot. So you reach a point in which that someone can analyze your fragrance and with a normal today's technology, they can get 95% of your formula within two hours. Right. So if you were starting to tell, okay, in my formula, I've got bergamot, I've got jasmine, or someone's going to steal my formula, he's going to produce it, and my customer is going to go somewhere to get, it, to get it done. And that has created really this culture of secrecy around fragrance. And that's maybe how, why the public became suspicious. Why do we know that we have the composition of our toothpaste? Why do we have our composition of our shampoo? Why do we know what? And why don't we know what's inside the fragrance? What, what do they hide? Right. So there was kind of uh, a demand from the police. Okay, those guys must be hiding what they're doing. We need to know or we have the right to know. And I think that's, in certain way, it's fair. I mean, I think we have to be transparent about what we're doing. That's why sometimes we get some questions like paraben, phthalate were used at one point as a carrier for, for fragrances. Now it's not used anymore in very rare cases and not on skin anymore because we know that. When was phthalates really a popular item? Uh, it was in uh, uh, 80s. I think 90s we're starting to see, okay, we have to stay away from it. But the problem also that the industry was using because for a lot of industries, there was a lack of knowledge. Right. It's not that the industry or whatever industry was doing something uh, bad on purpose, but perhaps that there was not enough research done by a scientific uh, community to really check and prove that this product was had, with long-term had certain effect on the health. On, I mean, there is a very important part, which is education of the public, I mean, to explain to them. And I know sometimes it's very difficult. And now with the way we communicate so fast with... Uh, you know, with the blogs, with, I mean, information goes fast, so, uh, so far and so fast before even sometimes you have a time to explain. So that's why sometimes you have some false worries that some of the consumers have. And sometimes it's, as you say, I mean, like paraben, I mean, okay, do you have, what's the problem with fragrance and paraben? I mean, it's not an ingredient we find in our formulas. What is the definition between, you know, if you were to take a look at, um, a traditional, let's take any traditional nice fragrance that's in the market. Um, I'm going to leave names off just because, but uh, let's take a nice niche luxury fragrance and compare that up against a quote unquote safe synthetic fragrance. How much of a difference do you find between the two? Aesthetically, I think there is an, uh, and the way the fragrance is built and the, the, the public it's created for, it's Already in this formulation, it's not going to be the same because you're not going to try to be mainstream. You're going to try to be different. You're going to have a much stronger character. You're going to try not to please everybody, but you're going to try to really to have very faithful uh, uh, consumer. And that's a place where, because also of the price, you can ask for, for the product you're going to put on market. Natural products have a bigger space. I mean, it's also that because uh, it's also the use of natural it's driven by 
the formulators, perfumer was using them, but also by the market. I mean, if you have $20 to create a fragrance, that's not going to put a lot of rose in it. I mean, because you don't, you, your customer, your, your, your client doesn't let you, doesn't give you the space to put it. So if you are selling a product which is more selective, which is going to be, you're going to sell few, but at higher price, there is more space for the perfumer to use natural product. I mean, I think there is also uh, the quest for quality for something different and the natural is going to bring that. I think you're going to have a depth, you're going to have a complexity, you're going to have uh, a mystique that you cannot get by creating a fragrance only with synthetic product. I think you can do affordable, good synthetic product, but they are synthetic fragrance. But the natural product give you a mystique, give you, uh, I think, uh, a richness that you're not going to achieve if you just use those, those synthetic molecules. One of the things that I loved finding out about, you know, as we started to work together, was that Cosmo International has some collection of products, which is called Craftivity. I fell in love with the idea. Some of the materials that you're working with are so incredible and inspirational. And, you know, for me, as a novice perfumer, never had the training that you've had and you know I've done mine my work as a perfumer very much as an apprenticeship and you know working with different natural perfumers and finding my my way that way for me what is always and I think that as I'm meeting you know perfumers that are legitimately working every day doing this that it's their path is similar to mine in that you know sometimes a fragrance is born out of a raw material and it's really something that you know you get very excited about it so when I came in and I met with you and you showed me this series of what you're calling craftivity, um, I was totally blown away. I mean, there's some really exciting materials. Can you explain to people what craftivity is? Yes. Uh, Cosmo has a chance that, uh, to have South of France, a division which uh, we saw was, thought was very important for us, uh, perfumer, uh, to help us in our creative way, our creative process. This uh, center is specialized in natural products. I mean, it means that uh, we have a group of people which are solely dedicated in finding new scent, natural scent, which can go through finding a new plant uh, somewhere around the world, developing new technique of extraction, of treatment of the raw material to create something different. You have different ways of creating new smell, natural smell. You can find a new plant which has a very unique smell and you try to extract it, see if you have something that smells good, that you can produce in an amount that allow you to use it and put in a fragrance, uh, that's sustainable, that uh, you're going to be working with local people to harvest it, to collect it or to cultivate it if it can be cultivated. And you have another part of uh, Creating new scents is to take natu uh, natural product, which maybe seems to be common, but to treat the raw material a different way. And that's what craftivity is. The idea that we have, it's craftsmanship done on very specific raw materials, on very selected lot, very uh, in very specific location. I think the idea was to have jewels. And the idea was to be very thorough with, of course, the collecting process, the treatment of the material, if it has to be dried, if it has to be that as something that's been controlled, and to extract it in a different way. And that's what craftivity is. What we did, it's 
uh, after the first extraction, it's made on the production site. Uh, for example, uh, uh, in India, if it's tuberose, it's uh, in Turkey, if it's rose, uh, in China, if it's osmentus, it's to have a way to extract it, not like the absolute were done before. Can we do it a different way? Because when you extract nature, sometimes it gives you something which is not as close as what the natural product is a flower uh, in the fields. I mean, when you extract a rose, it, what you have as a result of your extraction is not how the flower smells in the field in Turkey. I mean, is, do you find that it's really all in the hands of the, the distiller? That the process is very important. Of course, you have the way you treat the plant, how fast you treat it, uh, what are, but I think the treatment of the product to extract it is very important. So the first extraction is always done on the place of uh, collect because, I mean, the product, uh, the, those materials are very fragile. They ferment very f easily. So, I mean, your rose, you're not going to wait three weeks before you're going to extract it. You're going to do it within the same day. So you have to do it on the spot. But after you get this uh, first extraction, you can bring it somewhere else and work on it. And that's what we did South of France with the Craftivity. We took this first extraction of rose, uh, this first extraction of orange flower, and we used a biosolvent, which is natural, naturally sourced, naturally uh, uh, sustainable, to extract this product in a different way. And what we realized, which was amazing, that Compared to a conventional absolute, we get something which is much closer to the living flower, to the product as it is when it gets just picked up from the field. And that's what was wonderful about craftivity. We could have a rose which is much more natural, which is more delicate, which has more freshness, not this heavy, sometimes spicy honey notes that you get when you get an absolute, which is very nice, but sometimes it's too heavy. A lot of people, when you show them, a rose absolutely, I mean, it doesn't even smell like a rose. It's not exact, but it's much closer to what nature gives us. And I think that gives to the fragrance a completely different dimension. This has been amazing. I mean, I could, we could talk for four hours just on the nuances of these materials and the ins and outs of the industry. I think that, again, for the listeners, you know, maybe some people know and maybe some people don't, but the way a lot of times creative agencies or companies will work is they'll come to a company like Cosmo, a fragrance house, and there'll be a brief or a directive of, you know, we want a fragrance to be along these lines. Sometimes, sadly, the directive can be referenced to other people's fragrances. But I'm sure that sometimes that you have to really come and develop something from scratch. And so I would love for everyone to understand, you know, where do you draw your inspirations from and what's really inspiring you right now? my connection with who I'm working with and who I'm working for. I think it's very important. I think it's really a question for me, a question of person. I mean, you have people with who you work and you're going to do your job. It's not going to be the same. Right. And you have people with who you have a connection and what's going to come out of it, it's more than what you expect and you sometimes surprise yourself. When you create fragrance, the most beautiful things are the most simple one, but right. that's the most difficult to achieve. They are. They definitely are. Your process of inspiration is so empathic, you know, and I've always felt that when I've worked with you is that 
you know, I've come to you with these crazy concepts and base formulas. And disturbing and concept. Very disturbing concepts, exactly. I remember sitting across from you in a couple of meetings and, and being a little trepidatious about venturing into talking about you know, How re- is he going to take that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is, there, is, is Arnaud going to be okay with me talking about body odors and, and boob sweat? And, it's very liberating. Yes, it's, yeah. it's, sometimes you, it's really an important aspect with making amazing fragrance. Arnaud... Thank you so much for coming into the Heretic Studio and joining us for this amazing uh, podcast. You shed so much light on so many subjects. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. If any of you are interested, you can always check out Cosmo International's work at cosmointernationalfragrances.com and looking forward to our next week's podcast so you can find us at Spotify and of course on iTunes.